Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of the Retrospectives podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, James Turlings. How are you doing this fine afternoon, James? I'm pretty good. Just finished up watching the last game of the International, the big $30 million Dota tournament that's on every year. Um, it's been quite a, quite a tournament so far. You know, one of my favorite hobbies is playing a lot of that game in my downtime. Got over like 5,000 hours or so in it now. So it's pretty exciting to see the best teams in the world go at it for so much money. I used to be a lot more into Dota, uh, but uh, I've stopped playing it because I get too angry. And the levels of concentration it required, I found, was beyond my feeble mind. But uh, I still enjoy coming back every year to watch it. Um, there's something special about the international as a crowd-funded tournament. I don't know. There's something about the atmosphere that makes it enjoyable. Yeah, and now you've found a much more healthy outlet for your anger, such as bad old video games, right? Or expressing my irritation at them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, talking about expressing my irritation in old video games, you're listening to the Retrospectors podcast where we examine games, classic games of the past, through a modern lens. Um, for those who have never listened to us before, essentially what we're doing is we're reviewing and going doing in-depth analyses of uh, old games, usually from the 1990s and early 2000s. And we're seeking to evaluate if they're still fun to play today and uh, we're testing to see if they've truly stood the test of time. We're not interested in whether these games were good in their own days. All we want to know is, is it worth spending your weekend playing a game that's 20 years old today? This fortnight, I chose the game. We, James and I take it in turns. And uh, this fortnight, I chose Psychonauts. Psychonauts is a game from 2005 by Double Fine Productions, which was the creative part of LucasArts uh, that was originally responsible for titles such as Day of the Tentacle and Full Throttle. They came together and they made this game with the intention of having, I guess, a more creative freedom rather than just making Star Wars titles over and over again. Uh, it's a game that I played upon release, and it's a game I actually played multiple times, and I enjoyed a lot as, as a kid. So I wanted to see if it was still good or if uh, it was nostalgia clouding my memory. Do, uh, do you have any experience with Psychonauts at all, James? Yeah, so I played the game two or three times myself, but only up to about halfway through the game each time. So, you know, I was kind of excited to force myself through the whole thing and then, you know, kind of share my opinions about the whole thing because it's a pretty uh, interesting title, to say the least, in a time where I don't think there was really quite anything like it. Was there anything in particular back when you were playing that stopped you from finishing it? Yeah, there was a segment in the game where the gameplay kind of dragged a little bit and I find myself more frustrating than having fun. But we can get to that later when we start talking about the gameplay a bit. Sure. Um, so firstly, housekeeping. Luckily, this isn't a game from the 90s run on an emulator. So it was uh, a lot easier to set up than some of the games we've done previously. We just bought the game on Steam. You can get it on GOG as well, I think. There are lots of ways to buy this game on PC and it works completely fine. Interestingly, there is a significant difference between the PC version and the original console versions. Uh, one of the levels that was famously criticized for being too difficult called the Meat Circus 
received a patch that um that changed the difficulty dramatically. What a great we'll, name for a level. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in detail later, but the important thing is that if you're playing on an original PS2 or Xbox version, you'll be playing a slightly different version of the game than the one we were playing on PC. And by recently. slightly different, mean we mean significantly more difficult. Yeah, much, much, much more difficult. Um, I, I certainly had a much easier time of it than when I played uh, on PS2 back in the day. Um, so that's really it in terms of housekeeping. So uh, I'll launch straight into the premise of the game. So in Psychonauts, you play Rasputin, or Raz for short, who uh, in defiance of tradition runs away from the circus instead of running away to join the circus in order to join a Psychonauts training camp, basically a training camp for potential psychics. He wants to join because he has psychic powers, he's feeling ostracized by his family, and his desire is to become a Psychonaut so that he can go his own way Uh, And so his dad will accept him. Unfortunately for Raz, the camp counselors immediately call his dad and he's going to be getting there in a couple of days. But Raz resolves to get his uh, Psychonauts badge as quickly as possible so that he's a full-blown Psychonaut by the time his dad gets there. Of course, uh, shenanigans ensue and nothing, not everything goes according to plan. Uh, But that's the basic setup for the game. And I'll just say, spoilers ahead, uh, we'll be going in depth, not just with the story, but the characters and the specific levels in Psychonauts through this discussion. So if you want a truly spoiler-free version and you want to enjoy the game unspoiled, I recommend going to play the game now and come back. So spoilers ahead, be careful, consider yourself warned. So, um, James, the first thing I want to start with is uh, not something I've asked you about before, but something which I think is absolutely integral to, uh, to Psychonauts as a video game, and that is its sense of humor. Did you find Psychonauts funny at all? And if so, how? Yeah, this game is very charming in all aspects. Um, I did find the double fine humor very enjoyable. It, like, this game tries to tell a joke or pull something funny at, like, almost every single opportunity. But unlike a game, say, like, maybe Borderlands 2, which does the same thing, I didn't find the humor ever grating or, you know, kind of a pain in the ass, like... Uh, in Borderlands 2, for example. I thought it was very well done and generally really quirky, that kind of thing. The thing about Borderlands 2's, uh, I guess, sense of humour is that I always found it very surface level. Um, It's got kind of like a layer of paint over it that's comedic, but it doesn't feel like a comedy game. With Psychonauts, they've built the comedy into every single aspect of the game all the way to the bottom, so it feels a lot more natural in how it emerges. Uh, For example, you have humour at the premise level, like I said, Raz running away from the circus, or even if you look at uh, one of the main villains, the main villain in the game is a dentist, and he's a dentist that extracts brains. And the way he extracts these brains 
is he gives you some sneezing powder and you sneeze your brain, <laughs> brain out. out. Yeah, there's a there's a huge level of absurdist humor down to the very character designs. Even all of the characters in this game are drawn in extremely exaggerated art style. If you take the characters and you remove any features for them other than their general shape, they're still like really extreme, absurd, and like hilarious. And you can tell basically every character in the game apart just from their silhouette. Yeah, you're completely right. I agree that um, unlike Borderlands and other games that just have jokes, um, the game is funny in all aspects from the way the music plays to the visuals, the storytelling and the character animations. Um, they It doesn't feel out of place ever. And, you know, I think that's a really big strength of this game. It absolutely is overflowing with this quirky, absurdist humor um, and oftentimes comes across as really charming rather than grating. And I really appreciate that. I think uh, one of the best examples for how the humor is kind of such an integral part of the experience is one of the psychic powers you get. You only get about 10 so far in the game called clairvoyance. I would say about 90% of his usage is for gags. Yeah. 90% of using clairvoyance is using it on characters to see how they perceive you, and they always perceive you in a ridiculous way specific to that character. There is a little bit of gameplay application, but it's mostly used as a joke power. Yeah, like basically when you activate the power, your camera uh, switches to the first-person view of the closest NPC. Um, and then you can still run around the game world, but you're looking through the eyes of the closest NPC. And, you know, another thing that I really enjoy about Psychonauts is the way in which there is this big level of polish and attention to detail that's present throughout the game. Clairvoyance is a great example of this because it's an ability that gets used in a puzzle like maybe three times in the entire game. But every single character and like little side character you can use this power on and every single character views the main character completely differently in a very absurd way. There's a character like one of the final bosses of the game is a giant butcher. And if you view yourself through his eyes, you just appear as this big moving piece of meat on a stick that's running around the level. It's really funny. And this is going to tie back to one of the things that I think is going to keep coming up during this episode. And that's both Tim Schafer, the creative director of Psychonauts, and the lead art director both described themselves as being in interviews as being big perfectionists and I think that that comes through a lot in both the attention to detail with things such as this ability you know you only use once in the game but they still fleshed out to an insane degree throughout the game world and I really loved that. It's interesting that they describe themselves as perfectionists because there are aspects of this game that I absolutely would not describe as perfect. If anything Psychonauts to me is like a is like a flawed, flawed masterpiece. It does some things brilliantly, but I'd say there are definitely a lot of rough edges. Yeah, sure. Um, did you want to give us an example of one of those? So one of my major problems with this game comes in a massive sort of like clunky, clunky moment that happens at about the halfway point of the game. So... One of the things that Psychonauts does extremely well is the implementation of its collectibles. There are many, many collectibles, many different types of collectibles that all do slightly different things. Um, think Banjo-Kazooie in terms of the things you're gathering. 
But the best thing about them is that they're all entirely optional. They're there if you want to engage with, but you don't have to collect them. They're a fun mini game for those who want to pursue it, but you only need to pursue it as far as your interest takes you. But there's one really massive glaring exception, and that's when you need to purchase the cobweb duster in the game. So the cobweb duster costs 800 arrowheads, um, and you will be as you play the game, if you're just playing it normally, by the time you get to the cobweb duster, you might might have 100, maybe 150. So what you need to do is you need to stop what you're doing, go to the store, buy a dowsing rod, which is an item that lets you dig deep for this currency, then spend the next 10 to 15 minutes wandering around the camp, spamming buttons in order to get arrowheads out of the ground, so you can finally get the cobweb duster and continue with the game. And I've never understood the inclusion of this when it seems it's such an obvious immersion, not immersion breaker, but it it really disrupts your immersion in the game, disrupts the flow of the game rather, as you're forced to get these bloody collectibles. When in every other aspect of the game, it doesn't make you do that. Yeah, and it's not like you can like it's a catch-up mechanic or something. You have to go through this tedious process because you cannot get this amount of currency just by um going through the world. And I want to double back for a second to go back to talking about the humor of this game. So one of the the setting of the camp, uh, Camp Whispering Rock, is that um, it takes place on an Indian burial ground. And some of the characters remark quite early, they're like, oh, there must be hidden bodies buried around here. And this other character kind of exclaims, what? No, this is where they bury their arrowheads, which is, of course, the currency that you collect through the game. And I thought that was pretty funny. Like we said before, everything in the game, you know, is kind of built up and well thought out. And I thought that was a good example. Um, But to go back to your example of the running around and collecting them all. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It is a bit out of place and it's just a big time sink. You can't get these collectibles just by, you know, picking up the world. You have to go around mashing buttons on the ground for like, I don't know, like 20 minutes to pick it up. I will say though that I was a bit, probably a bit smarter than Patrick as usual and um, went out of my way to get the arrowheads as soon as I possibly could, which was coincidentally the part of the game where I was going, like, scouring the hub world for collectibles as well. Because as we've said in previous um, episodes, personally, I love collectible games like Banjo-Kazooie, Mario 64, these kind of super collectathon games, which I don't think Psychonauts quite fits the category of because collecting really isn't the focus, but it does have this element element that I love and quite early on I just stopped doing the story to run around and collect absolutely everything. I think I cleared out the main hub world in like the first two or three hours of playing the game and in doing that I overlapped this really tedious kind of collect all the arrowheads so it wasn't as bad for me because I was already you know I was already doing that so it didn't break my flow in the story at all because I was going out of my way to break my own flow if that makes sense. Yeah so yeah that does make sense but in regards to the overall point about them being perfectionists I agree that the world is incredibly well fleshed out you know to the point where there's an entire area of the campground where its only purpose is collectibles. There's heaps and heaps and heaps of dialogue with all the other campers that you encounter. 
and it's all completely optional. And every time you complete a mission, you get a whole new lot of dialogue if you search out and find it. So the world is certainly very fleshed out. I just think this idea of them being perfectionists can't quite be true because there are a couple of instances which feel uneven and a little rushed even in parts. So uh, maybe there was just a time crunch and they were as perfectionist as they could be, but uh, I wouldn't describe this as a perfect game. Um, So I'd like to agree with you partially. If I rephrase my statement to saying that I feel like their perfectionism mostly translates to the art direction and the world building, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Yeah, this is one of the better realized worlds in video games, I think, which is... uh, remarkable considering it's a comedy game you don't normally think of comic games as as having well-realized worlds but there's an enormous amount of detail in in this game yeah and one of the things we've argued about in the past and one of the things that psychonauts has really really impressed me with this past week is that one of the things that video games does very poorly is tell a linear story I think that when video games are trying to deliver you this linear narrative told through cutscenes, it gets a bit rough in places. But one of the things that video games do very well in terms of storytelling, but I don't think they do well enough, often enough, is that they have a very good, like better than any other art form, I think video games are capable of telling environmental stories fantastically. And I think of, you know... All of the games I've ever played, Psychonauts probably ranks in the top five for environmental storytelling and things occurring naturally around you in the game world and for information being communicated to you through level design and art direction. Um, I wouldn't go quite that high on it because I think that a lot of it is still delivered to you in terms of mini cutscenes, but uh, there's certainly heaps of detail in the world. I, I, I agree broadly, even if I wouldn't put it in the top five myself. Yeah, sure. And so I guess kind of going on to the main way in which this environmental storytelling occurs, as part of your like Psychonauts training at Camp Whispering Rock, one of the primary means in which you interact with other people's brains is through this idea of going into other people's mental worlds and exploring the insides of them. And the way that people's minds are represented in this game is very expressionist, like the geometry and the things that you find in the levels that represent people's minds are very abstract and eccentric and really like try to drive home the kind of mental state that the patient or the person is in. The main way that levels present themselves in this game are, you know, you go around the hub world and you find a person whose brain maybe needs fixing up or somewhere that acts as a tutorial and you go inside them and you explore and you help fix their mental state. Each and every one of these worlds is visually unique. There's not a single one that looks identical to any other and that's wonderful. For example, the very first level you take on is basic braining, Coach Oleander's brain, and it's like a battlefield. There are planes soaring through the sky, there are minefields, there are trenches to cross. You have to uh, climb up uh, and assault positions with machine guns. It's like a it's like a battlefield come to life. But then you move on to um, another coach, another one of the t- teacher's brains. 
Mia's brain and her brain is a party because she's a Latino dancing live life you know to its fullest sort of person so you're bouncing around on a levitation ball there's people in her brain dancing the uh the music is upbeat and jazzy and everyone's having a really good time yeah my favorite part of the um instructors is actually the third person Sasha Nine's brain and Sasha Nine comes across as a very uptight introverted individual who doesn't let his emotions show and when you go into sasha's brain like his inner world is just a white cube where everything is so tightly locked down like this is a guy who has no nonsense going on inside of him like i i think the the levels do a really really great job of reflecting the exaggerated absurdist characters they're trying to uh, trying to display and I, I really like how the level design and art direction inside the minds reflect the characters. I think it's really great. Well, they don't just reflect the characters, they inform the characters. Yes. The worlds are, are really telling us in detail about the characters in a way that we normally never get access to. So Psychonauts is a triumph of character building in video games. It goes into characters in a way that, you know, basically no other game can because how often is the entire world around you a character? I know a lot of uh, people use that uh, idea metaphorically. Like if you're playing through Portal, they'll say, well, the world of Portal is a character. In these games, the world is literally a character. Yes, and I love the way that Double Fine have taken this idea to an extreme level. About halfway through the game, there's a major shift in the story where you go from you know being around the campsite and being in the minds of your instructors which are essentially you know kind of like tutorial levels where you get your cool camping badge and they really play into that school camp kind of feel but halfway through the story you uncover the plot to steal people's brains you know which is literally taking their brains out of their skulls Uh, it's really funny and then the big bad's lair is in a deserted asylum for crazy people there's a whole cast of insane characters whose minds you explore and things get really insane both metaphorically and literally and i I really love that shift and i think that the levels in that insane asylum in part two were set effectively are some of the coolest most creative levels in a video game that I've experienced. We're going to be getting into these like levels that I love so much a bit later on, but um, I just wanted to give you a quick musical interlude because we're going for, you know, close to half an hour now. So one of the levels we're going to be discussing, I assume in great detail later on, is this level called the Milkman Conspiracy, which is kind of the first of the levels that you encounter when the story makes the massive, you know, tonal shift to the asylum. The main character, Boyd, whose mind you go into, is this um, kind of insane security guard standing outside of the asylum. And he's kind of muttering to himself and you're like, can you let me in? Can you let me in? And he's like, no, no, I can't let you in. The milkman has the key, but I'm not the milkman. I'm the guard. And you're like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? So, you know, you take a dive into his mind and you find out the Boyd is a bit of a, you know, a paranoid schizophrenic and everything in the level kind of reflects that through the crazy level design. Um, and also the music, the music reflects this really well, in my opinion. It's got this very tense, creeping, 
atmosphere that makes you kind of feel on edge. Um, so I kind of wanted to share this with you guys so you can kind of see how the music also plays off the characters and kind of gives you a good look into their mind just as much as the graphics and the art style does. So here's the level theme for The Milkman Conspiracy. Yeah, so that was Milkman, and we'll get more into that a bit later. But the first level I want to do a deep dive in on is uh, Lungfishopolis, which I think is a fantastic example of the uh, creativity and brilliance that uh, Tim Schafer and Double Fine brought to this game. So the first three levels you play are, as we alluded to, basically tutorial levels. Um, your perspective is the same, and they're teaching you your basic psychonauts abilities. Uh, the ability to levitate and float, the ability to shoot, etc., etc. Lungfishopolis is the first level in Psychonauts where you really, where things really start to get crazy, because what you are, you put your psycho portal on this giant monster fish's brain, and you you don't know what to expect. But what you get is you being a giant monster inside the brain of this creature. You're basically a Godzilla-like entity that all the all the people in the town refer to as Gogolore, uh, and you stomp through the streets of Lungfishopolis, which has innocent fish people just going about their business. And it's a wonderful perspective change. It has these excellent references to Godzilla and Japanese mech versus monster fights. It's a very funny level with you assisting the freedom fighters of the city to destroy the mental probe that's... Uh, inside the town one of my favorite moments is uh when you you're helping the freedom fighters and you rescue the blimp operator that you're hoping will fly you to the uh giant probe to destroy it and he, instead he details to you his plans to drop uh pamphlets all over the city yeah <laughs> estimating success within six weeks with a uh, sustained pamphlet campaign you're like ah i need to i need to beat this now but yeah lungfishopolis is fantastic because the way uh, the um the way the level is constructed is, you know, your your character's the same as it always is. You're just playing as Raz, the main dude. But um, everything's kind of like the perspective's changed. You're massive in the middle of these skyscrapers and really tall buildings, you know. You're this big, giant monster. And they do all sorts of little things, like change Raz's animation slightly. So he's holding his hands out in front of his body like he's a T-Rex. He's making these growling noises as you're running around. And it is, I agree with you, it's an example where they've taken Double Fine's creativity and just, like, amped it up to 11, which will find with a lot of these levels i think it's also just one of the funniest missions in the game there's constant uh news updates it keeps giving you 
telling you all about Gogglor, who's rampaging through the city uh, and about how you're evil. There's a running gag that the Navy is the one uh, that's protecting the city, but the Navy uses everything except for boats yes. to, uh, <laughs> to try and kill you and stop you. It has airplanes, they've got turrets, but they never bust out any boats. Yeah, it's, it's just a wonderfully creative level, very funny, well-paced. And they go out of their way to make you feel guilty, like every time you crush one of these buildings, they're like, oh no, not the school. I think those are canned lines that can play on any level, on any building that you can crush, but they really do a good job of driving home that like Godzilla thing that they're going for. I think it's also the level that to me highlights the huge gap between the gameplay and the creative team in this game because one of the things that got to me it kind of annoyed me actually while I was playing through this level was that in order to kind of um, sell that Godzilla movie-esque thing that they're going for is that they slow the main character down by a considerable amount to the point that I felt really annoyed at how slow I was moving. And it actually disables the abilities you can use that make you go faster. And I get, I totally get and understand and like the decision that they've done to sell the narrative to the audience. But at the same time, one of the biggest things for me about this game is that the gameplay of Psychonauts is not the best part of the game at all. In fact, I think that the gameplay of Psychonauts fills a very supportive and secondary role compared to the like the story and the narrative elements. This game's mechanical gameplay is really like whatever, but Psychonauts really sells novelty to the player. You barely ever do the same thing more than once or twice in the entire game, and it's just constantly hammering with you with these crazy out there new things to look at and do and to assault your senses with and i think that's the biggest strength of this game and that that is definitely reflected in this level yeah this this issue the poor gameplay is less of an issue because it's more of a spectacle but uh if you look at the gameplay in a broader sense it generally is pretty poor i would divide the i guess basic gameplay into two main sections which is the platforming and the combat the platforming's decent it's not terrible. It's certainly being able to control the camera on the analog stick is a welcome addition compared to some of the uh, earlier 90s 3D platformers we've played. But uh, it's a little janky. It doesn't feel incredible. It's certainly not as good as something like Prince of Persia, but it's fine. The real problem with this game comes in the combat, which I would describe as uninspired and bland. It's not that it's non-functional. It's just that it's very boring you've got a basic attack by pressing x you can shoot people and shoot enemies and you can light some enemies on fire and that's really about it your only way to dodge is with your jump and double jump there's no like uh lock on dodge key oh there is actually but but it's uh rarely relevant and it, it's just it's just boring the the combat in this game is enemies running at you in a straight line and you disposing them before they compose much. Yeah, I, I agree with you here, but I want to drive home that for me, I don't mind that. To be honest, if this game... I think Psychonauts as a whole is a great game. If you took the gameplay away from it entirely, 
I still think it would be an enjoyable... Like, if you made it a walking simulator, this game would still be great and that it could ride on the merits of its creativity alone. But I don't think if you took the fluff away and just left the pure mechanical gameplay, it would be a good game. And that's not to say that I don't think that some of the gameplay is enjoyable. Um, I think most of it's pretty enjoyable. I just think that it's enjoyable within the context of the fluff of the game. And without that, it's just like you see the cracks. Whereas I think the perfect example of this for me is a level later in the game called Waterloo World, which is actually takes place in the mind of Napoleon's late, late descendant, who is having trouble beating somebody at chess. And because of that, you know, he's struggling with his lineage. Like, inside his mind is the spectre of Napoleon Bonaparte telling him that he's worthless and not worthy of the family name. And inside his mind is actually just a big game of civilization, basically, um, where the main character, Fred, is losing to his ancestor, Napoleon, quite badly. And the gameplay of this game, uh, of this level basically involves you running back and forth just talking to people and doing very minor platforming the chessboard essentially that the two characters are playing when you jump on it your character shrinks down to be like smaller than a piece on the game board it's quite funny and i was actually like really taken aback when that first happened but uh one of the things is that the pieces of the game are their own characters who are also dissatisfied at their leader's kind of, you know, mopey attitude. And your entire thing is that you have to go from house to house to convince the chess pieces to basically come back to life and start taking part in the chess game again. But most of the gameplay is just you running back and forth talking to people, and when they turn into a chess piece, you just kind of move them one square without making a serious gameplay decision. And if you look at this shit mechanically it's god awful this is boring as hell but because the fluff you know the flavor and the story and the context for this gameplay is so damn cool it makes the gameplay fun retroactively almost i don't know if you if that's kind of your feeling on it as well so so basically i i'm not disagreeing that the um that the paint on this game that the aesthetics and story and humor and charm don't make the I, I think that it's psychonauts is still an enjoyable experience overall but i do think that the mechanical blandness of this game is a flaw and problem with the game particularly when it comes to the boss battles the boss battles are almost all variations on the same th- thing where you repeat the same action three times to kill them they are uh, they barely have more depth than those terrible Kirby uh, boss battles that I was talking about earlier. In some ways, the Kirby boss battles exceed the boss battles in this game, including the very last one in the game. So I found it very uh, disappointing just how basic it all was. The way I conceptually eventually came to grips with it was that I started viewing combat as less of a separate thing in its own right and more as a tool in a toolbox of options you get. Over the course of the game, you acquire about 10 psychic powers, and um, you can use them in different ways. Invisibility can let you slip through gaps, which would otherwise be triggered by enemies firing at you. 
Uh, pyrokinesis will light things on fire, letting you clear boards that might be over a door. And the way I started to view the combat power-ups, like the shooting, was it's just another tool that you use to deal with another problem, which is the enemies. And when you think of it like that, it becomes less of an issue because instead of combat being, you know, 60% of your experience playing Psychonauts, it's really only 5%. It's there to get the enemies out of the way so that you can continue with the rest of the game. Yeah. And if you conceptualize it in those terms, it feels a little less problematic. Yeah, and honestly, I because I was saying before that to me the fluff is 90% of this game, it never actually once occurred to me that I was hating the gameplay other than that bit in Lungfishopolis where I was walking so slow. Um, in fact, I found that in some instances I had a lot of fun killing enemies in creative ways with the powers. There's one enemy, the only enemy in the entire game that I think is a bit of a challenge, is the the big sensor. So throughout the mind levels, there are these dudes in suits with these stop stamps that run around trying to like crush parts of the psyche that have gone out of control and so they're present in every single level uh, they just look like really uptight dudes trying to stamp out everything that's fun in the world and there's this really big muscular version that you know um takes a lot of hits to kill and you can't like stun lock him with your one two three combos so you kind of like have to go out of your way to kill him in a you know more creative way and i found that i was uh experimenting a lot more with my psychic powers to kind of deal with this guy and for most part, you just light him on fire. Yeah, I light him on once. fire, or you throw him off a cliff with telekinesis, um, or you sneak past him with invisibility, or jump over him with the ball. And I kind of found them fun to deal with. But I agree with you. For the most part, the combat's pretty bland. Even most of the platforming's pretty whatever. As we said, Prince of Persia, um, a game that we played earlier, has much better platforming than this game. But to me, that's not the focus of Psychonauts. To me, the focus of Psychonauts is the aesthetic and like the kind of the fluff that surrounds everything in the game. Well, I mean, you can say it's the not the focus, but the fact is it's still part of the game. Like, I agree that it's not it's not a massive issue, but it's something I was certainly aware of as I went through the game. I think one of the most aesthetically uh, distinct levels, one which I think looks beautiful, also had probably the weakest gameplay, and that's uh, Black Velvetopia. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Black Velvetopia before I uh, shit all over it, James? Yeah, so Black Velvetopia, um, actually my favourite level in the game, um, <laughs> is takes place in the mind of an artist who has kind of lost his way and is kind of stuck in the grips of not being able to move on with his life almost. It's hard to describe this level. The aesthetic is very unlike anything you've seen in the game before with very deep blacks and bright highlights that are in some ways inspired by... Um, the Day of the Dead, I'm going to say. And this level's gameplay, the main con the main gameplay conceit is that this character is dogged by this giant bull that is currently ruining... Like, in the real world, he's constantly trying to do paintings. And then just as he's finished the final touch on this beautiful painting, he suddenly loses his shit and draws this angry bull all over the painting. And throughout the level, this is reflected in like a physical bull running through the level. And if it hits you, it takes you all the way back to the start. So you kind of have to platform around these winding streets, trying to avoid this bull at all costs and kind of trying to get through. Um, so why don't you like this one? 
you say platform through winding streets and you make it sound interesting when the reality is you're just moving down narrow corridors. That's the entire level. You're just moving down narrow corridors, then there's a repetitive boss fight, and then you move down narrow corridors again. Yeah, and to me, that's fine because, you know, as I'm trying to, trying to get this across, I think the gameplay in this game... I'm pretty neutral on it, right? I'm. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's bad enough that I like. I wouldn't tell somebody to play this game, but it's not like an amazing part of the game. If I recommend Psychonauts to somebody, I'm not telling them about the gameplay. It's just like it's there and it's whatever. But I actually liked the gameplay in that level more than a whole a bunch of the others. I don't know. So so in the level, what happens is you're in a street. The bull's running down it. You need to move from one part of the street to the next part of the street. And then you go down a corridor, whether it's underground or above ground, and then you repeat. The gameplay is pretty boring. And then you keep getting into these boss fights. There's four of them. And they're basically exactly the same with some very minor variations. They're all against these big wrestlers. You basically shield their attacks and then you hit them on the sides and you circle strafe around them and then you win the fight. And you have to do it four times. So aesthetically, it's striking. The way Raz looks with the lines over his face and anything look amazing. I love the look of this level. But yeah, this level is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. I think this is the best looking level in the game by far. I, I agree. I, I think just purely in terms of how visually beautiful it is, absolutely gorgeous. But in terms of how it is to play... It's boring, man. Like, it's it's a pretty, pretty boring level. There's a whole bunch of platforming and, like, swinging and stuff that takes place above the streets. I don't, I think you're underselling it a little you, bit. You swing, you swing from a couple of poles to another couple of poles. It's nothing substantial. I, I, I don't think I'm underselling it at all. I think this is the worst, worst level in the game in terms of gameplay. Um, I... And I actually have some problems with the story as well, but we'll we'll get we'll get to that a bit later. I, I, it just sounds like I I guess I've been more aware of or less forgiving um, of the gameplay problems with Psychonauts. I will say, like you, I don't think it's terrible. I just think there are times when um when it does get a bit boring and repetitive and bland. Uh, gameplay wise, even if it looks great at times. Yeah, gameplay wise, sure. I. But, like, did you agree with me on the point where the game tries to change itself up, up enough? Yes. A lot of the gameplay elements are boring in themselves, but usually you only have to do them once or twice, so you don't you don't burn out on them, which I think is a big strength of the game, you know? There's lots of really simplistic little elements, but because you're doing them so few times, they don't often strike you as being really repetitive and boring no i i agree that basically because the narrative is so strong and the world building is so strong and unique it doesn't it often doesn't feel like you're doing gameplay things it feels like you're doing what the story is saying you're recruiting this person for the army and you're getting them to fight against the french soldier you're not getting a thing to appear so you can telekinetically move it or whatever you're 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 largely informed by the you know by the narrative implications but one of the things about that velvetopia level is is i think that it doesn't have 
the strong um, the stronger narrative justification running through. You're collecting playing cards by going down the street and fighting the same boss four times. Yeah, so for me with the bull that takes you back to the start, that's a very key element in that character's, you know, characterization is that he's unable to move forwards. The bull is always bringing him back to the start. And to me, that's perfectly reflected in that gameplay element. If you make this wrong move, you're taken all the way back. Oh, well, when I got caught by the bull, I never went all the way back. I just went back one street. Yeah, but you you can see that kind of like that narrative connection is still there. Yes, I mean, that's a that's a good point. I do agree somewhat that it is weaker in other levels, and I actually think that um uh, one of the things that that level is weaker than in other levels is when you enter a bunch of the levels and you just look around, you can kind of almost instantly understand the character that you're inside of. Sasha Nine being a great example with that big white cube, you're like this guy's very uptight and keeps his emotions to himself. In Black Velvetopia, I don't think that's as obvious. And the Lungfish level by... Well, the Lungfish level is kind of like, he's more afraid of you than you are of it. That makes sense. But I don't think the narrative kind of jumps out of you in this level like it does the others. All right, I'm going to get slightly controversial here. I don't actually think the narratives of Black Velvetopia or um, the theatre level with Gloria are actually that strong. Um... So so here we go. I think that the the worlds do a really good job reflecting the psyche of the person you're in. But what I don't think they do a good job of is translating the narrative of what you're doing to them changing on the outside. So with Black Velvetopia, for example, you collect the playing cards that lets you get into a boss fight with the other guy and then you beat that other guy in a boss fight by hitting him a lot. And then Edgar goes, wow, they're losers. I don't understand the narrative connection, essentially. And maybe I'm just being daft, but and maybe you can explain it to me. I mean, that's just you vanquishing his inner demons, right? Um, the same with you winning that strategic battle against Napoleon helps that other guy have more self-confidence, Well, you right? see Fred gain confidence as you start winning battles, and Fred at the end says, yeah, we're going to win, and he cheers you on. I think that's an example of it being, of it being fine. What I don't understand is how beating this guy in a boss battle makes him come to the realisation that him dwelling on the past is a problem. There's a there's a problem there with linking those two ideas. Okay, Curing sure. mental illness needs to be more complicated than beating a boss. I, I wanted to see these characters undergo some sort of transformation. And it seemed like with this one and the theatre level, which I'm happy to talk about at depth later, I didn't really understand the connection, like the change that you were making. I actually didn't consider that too deeply, um, but I can see there is a bit of a a narrative link there missing between the real world and the psyche's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally got very caught up in the level design itself and, you know, in general find it so enthralling and engaging that, you know, I was having a blast the entire time exploring them. Like I said, I think that the worlds are good reflections of that psyches and there's fantastic detail to reflect it. I just, I'm not sure how sold I am on this idea that you like uh, fight the theatre critic, like the critic in Gloria's mind, and all of a sudden she's better. 
to me, that's like such a trivial trivialization of um, like severe mental illness. And I would have preferred something, I guess, a bit more in depth about her coming to terms with it as opposed to killing this part, this thing inside you. Uh, it- I think I think that um, this game's tone is quite light-hearted. Although, you know, one of my favorite things in media is very light-hearted media that tackles very serious tones in order to not have the whole experience dragged down into that black hole. And I think that Psychonauts does a great job at that. I think that kind of dealing with these very, very serious issues in this kind of less heavy way is tonally consistent with the game. Sure. There are a couple of moments, I don't know if you discovered them, where there are some quite dark secrets revealed. Did you find uh, Mia's secret room by any Yes. Time? Yeah, that was horrifying. I, was, I think it works so well because it's just absolutely out of nowhere too, right? Yeah, you find a room. Uh, Mia's the uh, Latino dance levitation instructor who's always upbeat. You find a secret room that Mia tells you to stay out of and it's filled with these screaming nightmares saying, Mia, save us. Because uh, it turns out that when she was younger, she was uh, looking after a bunch of orphans, and then she the building was on fire, and she feels guilt and responsibility for all these children dying. And uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, dive into was, did you find the two kids on top of the roof discussing their suicide pact? I actually didn't find them on the roof, but I think if you rescue them later in the game, they kind of make a mention to it. Yeah, there's um there is some real darkness hidden in amongst the uh the lighter approaches. But yeah, and maybe maybe I'm expecting too much in wanting, I guess, a more detailed uh detailed view of people coming to terms with their mental problems than a video game where you can fight bosses. But uh I felt it was a little clumsy in its execution when you consider how detailed and well realized everything else is yeah i can agree with that i want to go back to that statement you made before about those two kids on the roof Mm because that's one of my favorite parts of the game is the way that as you progress through the story there are these npcs wandering around the campsite going through their own narratives um, that you can completely miss and i think that just adds a level of making the world feel actually lived in and alive that a lot of games don't do so well yeah, I mean, we touched on it earlier with regards to the environmental world building, but every time you finish a mission, it all gets reset. And if you're willing to explore everywhere, um, you you uncover these developing storylines. A lot of them are romances between the kids at camps, and uh, the dialogue's pretty snappy and funny as you move from each one to each one. When I was playing the game at the start and I was spending most of my time running around picking stuff up because I love the collection aspect of this game, um, it really, really made the experience so much more enjoyable to not just find little trinkets on the floor that are currency, but to also find these really funny character stories as well unexpectedly. Um, and I think that like a lot of the humor comes into play here with all of these little stories are funny. Even, even that, like, uh, that suicide pact that you were talking about is played off as dark humor. Pretty much everything about the characters just inspires a world that you enjoy exploring. Yeah. Uh, and this extends not just to the aesthetic, but to the music as well. 
Um, one of my favorite tracks is this one that we're just about to play. It's uh, the it's called Whispering Rock, and it's just the default music as you move around the campsite. It's a very relaxing, slow uh, acoustic guitar or banjo sort of uh, sound, and it's one that makes you feel right at home. Yeah, it's it's very juxtaposed against the uh, the more fantastical levels of the game, and I think that it does a really good job of selling the real world as being more grounded. So here we go. less grounded and many of the mental worlds and uh, I think the less least grounded is definitely the Milkman Conspiracy probably Psychonauts most famous level um, in the Milkman Conspiracy uh, as James told you earlier you go inside the head of a conspiracy nut and you have to unveil the conspiracy and find out who the Milkman is it's a uh, very twisted world it's a uh, Basic aesthetic is 50s suburbia, but uh, it's all twisted, literally. The world is a series of streets that curl in and over themselves as you uh, go along. There are government agents in every bush and mailbox taking uh, pictures of you. They even uh, follow you as you walk away from them. And there are government men all over the place, or G-men, as uh, as a conspiracy nut would call them. There's a sewer that has alligators in it. There's black helicopters flying over. Every conspiracy theory is true in this uh, idyllic, Fallout New Vegas style uh, style game. Yeah, the leveled structure, as you said, it reminds me of something out of like the latest Mario Kart in its geometry. Mm, that's a good. It just good makes comparison. no sense. Yeah, and gravity's just switching constantly as you you know climb up these like you walk up walls and you know the level kind of bends and twists under your feet as you go through it, and there's hedges everywhere filled with people with like blinking eyes looking out to you. Boy, the Boyd Cooper, the security guard whose mind you're in, is absolutely paranoid of everything. And I think that this is one of the strongest visual representations of the character's mental illness in the entire game. From the moment you leave his house, you know, you see from his windows his eyes uh, cautiously peeking over and then instantly... A, um, a mailbox opens and some binoculars pop out of it. Just everything is out to get you in this world and it's terrifying. The funniest thing is how the uh, government employees view you. Most of the gameplay of this level revolves around um, finding an finding the right item and using it in the right location because the G-men will be will have sectioned off areas like they'll have sectioned off the graveyard for uh, grieving widows and grieving widows are identified by the fact that they hold flowers so you're not allowed in there but if you can find a posy of flowers the G-men will let you in because uh, 
you're obviously a grieving widow. And they'll spout uh, generic grieving widow lines at you. Uh, it's wonderful. It, it, it's a good representation of the stupidity of bureaucracy. I um, I actually lied earlier when I said that Longfishopolis was my only... Um, the only time I noticed the gameplay being kind of bad. Last two times I played Psychonauts, I stopped playing on this exact level because I find the gameplay of this level to be really, really boring. Um, in terms of story content and the fluff that we've mentioned before, I think it's great. I think aesthetically this level's very, very strong. But you're just, like, exploring these houses finding these items and there's heaps of houses in this level you don't know where the item is that you need you have to run back and forth constantly and i found myself running around with no idea where to go next just constantly yeah i i was able to make my way through it pretty smoothly but that's maybe because i've finished it before i actually liked this because it didn't have combat and it didn't have platforming uh, the absence of those actually made the experience more enjoyable to me because it was more transparent about what the game was like. Uh, having mediocre combat thrown in the way doesn't add anything to the experience for me. Uh, same with mediocre boss battles. And bizarrely, the Milkman Conspiracy does have a couple of boss battles against these nightmares, the same as the ones you see in uh, Mia's Dream that don't fit at all, and there's no reason for them to be there. Yeah, I don't know where those are coming from. I actually thought the boss battle at the very end of the level is quite fun. Um, the conceit is that, because the ability that you get in this level is the one that lets you see through the eyes of the people you're close to, so, you know, if you're near anything in this level, you can use it. If you're near a trash can, you can use it. If you're near a bush, you can use it, which suggests there's someone in there hiding and staring at you, to, you know, to reflect that kind of paranoia of Boyd's mind. Um, the final boss of this level involves a lady who can see in the dark that turns off the lights and you have to do the whole boss battle from her perspective so that you can actually see where your character is. The rare um, second person was... boss battle. Yeah, and I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, it's a cool concept, but once again, it's like mechanically, it's just kind of dull. Like the the interesting thing about this mission was the, um, was the visual aesthetic music sound design all those things mechanically like you said it uh is pretty bland and uninteresting but at least it doesn't waste your time with combat most of the time boyd's probably my favorite character in the entire game this like schizophrenic paranoid milkman uh can be found in the level and if you stand near him i think it's based i think it's almost randomly generated the lines that he'll talk about but he has like 10 minutes of dialogue of insane ramblings that barely connect to each other and just make no sense he's like he's extremely entertaining in all his cutscenes, and I, I found him a joy um to experience as a character yeah. much like uh, a lot of the characters in the game yeah milkman level uh deserves the praise it gets it's um it's very fun to uh to play through filled with great jokes enjoyed it a lot and remember that's that's despite us both saying that the gameplay is really mediocre to bad like it's still a great level because of that fluff and i just keep stressing this point but i can't stress it enough that the fluff and the flavor and all of the like the context in this game makes it an absolute joy for me to play and is something that 
I can barely think of another game that accomplishes this so well in my mind. There's certainly no game that's quite as creative as Psychonauts that I can think about. Um, You know, not everything works, not every joke lands, but it is very brave and creative in the ideas it explores. Um, yeah, it, it's never for a lack of trying. Should, should we move on to the uh, the one bit of the game where there's actually a significant amount of gameplay, the meat circus? Sure. How? Um, so we said earlier that they changed the meat circus to make it a lot easier. I have uh, nightmarish memories of the meat circus when I was younger. It probably took me something in the realm of two to three hours to finish this level, whereas playing through it, Today, it probably took me 25 minutes or so. How difficult did you find Meat Circus, James? Yeah, I'd never gotten up to this level before, which is, of course, the last level in the game. But I did find that, like, there was a substantial increase in difficulty in terms of the platforming. But even then, I didn't find it that hard. From what I've read online, things they've changed are, like, checkpoints. And there's there's also a, a timed segment and I think they've made both of those time segments a bit more generous. But I didn't struggle with it at all. In fact, I was like hoping that it'd be a little harder. Yeah, I was a little disappointed, honestly, uh, because that that final um, platforming section really kicks my butt. The final platforming section, as James said, you're, you're timed. The water level is rising and water is deadly to Rasputin. So you need to complete a sequence of platforming rapidly in order to escape. Playing it through it this time, I felt like I was under way less pressure. I was punished way less for taking damage or falling off. Um, It was still decent. I still actually enjoyed this part of the game because your platforming chops are somewhat put to the test. But uh, I I think something was lost in, uh, in making this part of the game as easy as it was. Yeah, I agree. I think that... Based on the feedback that I've read online, that they sh- that making the level easier was the correct decision, but I think they went too far in how easy they made it. I think there's too many checkpoints, and you're not punished enough, so I would have liked to see it a bit more. It is strange, though, that all of a sudden they decided to make a difficult platforming level, whereas before, the platforming was never really a challenge in my mind. It was just kind of there as part of the gameplay. Yeah, it's not even bad. One of the uh, one of the joys of this game is using the uh, levitation bubble. It's a power up that uh, doubles to triples your movement speed and makes your jump super high. And then, in addition, when you're coming down, you can turn your levitation bubble into a balloon and you know float down slowly. So it just gives you these ins- this insane level of mobility, completely different to your normal level. And uh, the platforming is pretty fun using that uh, that levitation ball to just get around the world. Uh, you feel crippled without it in a lot of ways. So moving around the world, you felt like you had a lot of freedom. You weren't under any pressure or timings or anything. Raz, Raz is uh, from the circus, so he's uh, he's an acrobat. So you can do things like climb on ropes. and. Uh, yeah, I actually liked um, that little story reason for him being so good at platforming. Not, not a lot of games give that. They're just good at it because the game demands it of them. Yeah, and it makes sense, right, why he's doing so well while going through these levels as a psychonaut compared to the other fellow students raz is good at using trapezes and bouncing on things because he's been doing it all his life whereas the other kids are just normal kids 
Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that really, really disappointed me about Meat Circus was um, the fact that the boss fights are so easy. Um, I don't know if this was the same in the original version, but they're such a pushover, especially being the final confrontations of the game. Yep, they uh, were this easy in the original version. Um, part of the problem is that the normal boss fights are just repeats of fights and mechanics that you've already seen and already done. Uh, the throwing you know, objects at the boss to make them weak and then hitting them is literally used in Velvetopia in almost exactly the same way. And the final boss battle is terrible. Like, this is yeah, this meant to be the climax of the game. Uh, you either shield or go invisible or run away from their attacks for 10 seconds. Then you turn into a big, strong guy that can attack them from 10 seconds. Rinse and repeat until the fight's over. That's it. That's the final challenge of the game. Yeah, it sucked. The best part of the level was definitely the closure on the kind of this like storyline in the background of Rasputin and his father, um, which I thought was like done pretty well. Yeah, see, and and that's really um, Psychonauts in a nutshell, right? Like the story is super engaging and gripping. The worlds are creatively are creative and well put together, very well realized. The characters, as a result, are very well well, retail, well realized and detailed. And this extends even to small minor characters as well. Um, you're often being pushed along by narrative justifications. And you, you believe in them because the novelty of exploring each world and the shift in perspective is enough to keep you believing that this is all true. But if you were to strip all that away and look at this game purely from a mechanical point of view, it's very average. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it's, mediocre. It's I not, wouldn't say bad, yeah, but I, it's like... I wouldn't say horrible, but it's just like uninteresting and bland. But the presentation is so well done that you notice it far less, with the exception of a couple of levels where uh, where it comes to the fore. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what Psychonauts is. It's definitely, um, it's, it's all sizzle, but there's a lot of sizzle there. Yeah, there is. If this game has one thing going for it, it's pure, unadulterated charm. It has more charm um, to it than pretty much any game I can think of. Charm is a good word for it, um, and it infuses every aspect of the game, uh, even down to the collectibles. For example, scattered around the minds of the people you're uh, going inside are things called emotional baggage, which are literal <laughs> luggage, uh, pieces of luggage. You have to find the tag that goes with the piece of luggage and reunite it with that piece of luggage. It plays a happy little tune, and everything is right in the world. Yeah, and I don't know if you noticed, but, like, until you fix the emotional baggage, those bags and, like, suitcases lying around the levels are crying, and the crying mimics the voice of the character whose mind you're in. I thought that was a nice little touch, and it, like, again, goes to show that this game is just full of these little bits of detail that just make everything feel more immersive and alive and charming and i love it yeah the, the game is stuffed with these details to make everything fit um there are mental cobwebs that you suck up with the cobweb sucker yeah <laughs> the uh, generic collectible you get which is like uh, a neon 2d uh image uh like of of something that belongs there like you'll be in an orchid and uh there'll be apple apple figments and they are figments of imagination because they're not quite real. Uh, even as James alluded to, the senses, they're sent their basic enemy in the game. 
They're there to kill you because you do not belong in this person's mind. So who else would come along but a censor to censor you from that that thought from existing? So it's just all very well realized and makes sense, and it's all very charming, even even when you're being attacked by these enemies. Yeah, and I guess the last point for us to touch on is the music of the game. Um, how did you feel about that? For me, the music on its own isn't the greatest thing ever, but it's absolutely a great supporting pillar of the game because it plays off the aesthetics very well in each level. Um, it reminds me of, you know, those old Disney cartoons that don't have voice yes. and they're just, you know, people creeping along and there's these exaggerated sound cues every time they take a step, that kind of thing. And while it's not, it isn't actually that dramatic in game, I think that the absurdist aesthetic comes hand in hand with the music in this game. I, th- I can, if I listen to a soundtrack, I can tell you exactly what level it comes from. That's how yes. well realized and perfectly done the music is. I think the music is actually fantastic. I think it's a really strong part of this game. And I'm not normally so high on music, but most of the music I really enjoyed. There was one which I absolutely hated, which I know I was meant to hate, but it still grated on me so much. And that's <laughs> uh, Happy Flowers from uh, Gloria's Theatre Level. And every time it came on, I got angry because it was so bad. I took off my headphones. I know I promised I wouldn't do it, but just for this one track, it was irritating the I, crap out of me. I like that theme so much. Like, it's Gloria's mind is that of somebody who has very severe mood swings and goes from being very angry to being, like, sickly sweet almost. And Happy Flowers is, like the pinnacle of sickly sweetness it's like the soundtrack out of the fucking teletubbies or something like it's it's off um, tune though it's like children are playing it that's that's the thing yeah exactly it's like children are playing it it's like it's not quite right it's very happy because like if you just have a normal happy track right there's nothing wrong with that it's not suggesting there's something wrong in the mind of the inhabitant but when it's off key and really like there's something wrong there it really kind of sells that point of this character being a bit uh, out of whack yeah the thing about gloria is that both her moments of happiness and her depression are both out of order neither is justified and she needs to try and find a balance between the two yeah and while like like you said you're not supposed to like that track almost but i don't think it's a bad track i think it excels at trying to deliver the information to the player that it's trying yeah, to it, it serves a purpose it just made my ears hurt i didn't want to listen to it anymore <laughs> whereas the evil um, version of the track i didn't like it either but i wasn't in physical pain really i love that track i think that my favorite tracks are the ones that go for that really like jazz inspired backing because the most of the music in this game is pretty orchestral right uh, I'd say that there's a lot more, I don't know what you call it, like trumpets and horns and things like that. Yeah, like jazz inspired, right? Uh, like- not necessarily jazz inspired. I, I think that, for example, Black Velvetopia is like acoustic guitars, Mexican. I think Whispering Rock is acoustic guitars as well, but it's, I don't know how you describe it. I'm rubbish with music, but it's not jazz. Uh, Milkman Conspiracy isn't jazz. Uh, Waterloo isn't jazz. 
I think there are a couple. Oh, of not spots. all of it. I, th- I think that Gloria's mine in particular has a lot of jazz influence. Yeah, in yeah, perhaps. Um, but but yeah, um, I, Black I Velvetopia is actually my least favorite track in the game because, as you said, for the most part, the music informs the character that you're inside of, and I don't think that like the mental state of that character is properly reflected in that track. Okay, so I mean, I just saw it as part of the overall aesthetic because. You know, matadors and bulls and everything. Yeah, sure. You think of, and I understand those are all, you know, cliches. It's very superficial, right? Yeah, but it fit the the overall aesthetic. Whereas that track we played for the guys earlier, the Milkman Conspiracy theme, it's very tense, very, like, uh, suspicious. There's a lot of, like, weird off-key notes in there to make you kind of jump and look about your surroundings, and it really reflects Boyd's schizophrenic personality. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. You're saying that the music doesn't reflect the character's struggles, mental struggles. Yes. Yes, I, I agree that's fair. I don't know how you would do that with music, though. Yeah, Um. I think... Because, like, I think um, Velvetopia is a good track on its own, but in the context, it's not as good. Same with, like, my favorite track to listen to on its own is the level from the Meat Circus, which I think is great, but I don't think it, you know, accurately reflects the characters' minds. I think it does a little bit better in the original version, where it was fucking impossible to complete, (laughs) so it was an actual nightmare. Uh, As it is now, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, so music really good for the most part. Um, we've played you a few tracks, and I'm going to slip in here just now um, Happy Flowers, just so God you can it. know Patrick's pain. <laughs> so here you go. So the music's pretty good. We both agree on that. Um, did you have anything to say about the voice acting at all? Um, uh, I guess that's vo- the other part. Voice acting's impeccable. Um, I have zero problems with it. Uh, it's all very well done. Uh, yeah, enjoy it a lot, particularly when you consider how many minor characters there are in this game. I yeah, think, and it's all voice. I think something that makes, I think something that makes it work is that because the cast of characters is so eccentric and weird they were able to get away with weird voice acting. The characters didn't need to sound realistic. In fact, them sounding a bit ridiculous uh, fit right in with the Tim Burton-esque sort of feel they're going for. Art style? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, voice acting is very well done. Each character is distinct. You can recognize the characters by their voice alone. Uh, yeah, good voice acting. That bit that you mentioned there, the kind of like Tim Burton-esque theme they're going for, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. That's probably the best way to 
describe the characters in this game. When I first played, the way I describe the art style, it's almost like gross, but in a good way. I don't know if that's uh, kind of your feeling. The characters look really bizarre, um, and especially one of the characters, the one that's played up to be like the school bully, is absolutely hideous to look at. Yeah, you, you don't know where his hair starts or ends. Sounds like your um, your voice is uh, going a bit there, Patrick, so we might have to start wrapping up now. Yeah, apologies for my shitty voice. Um, I'm still, still to this day recovering from a sickness from a few weeks ago, so my voice keeps dropping out. So we'll have to wrap up now, unfortunately. So, James, you take us away first. Uh, what did you think of Psychonauts? Is it worth playing today? Okay, um, I don't know. I am extremely high on this game's aesthetic and art direction. Extremely high. I don't think there's another game out there that quite matches this eccentricity that's on display. Um, in fact, I think this is the best looking game that we've played to date. And as you know, as we've said before, these like cartoony art styles really stand the test of time. I don't think this game will ever look bad, even though, you know, maybe there's some anti-aliasing and texture problems here and there. But it really, really shines, especially in levels like Black Velvetopia, where the art direction is absolutely beautiful. Um, as we've said, the gameplay is, you know okay but i just did not give a shit about how bad the gameplay was because the direction the novelty factor on display where you're doing something completely different all the time is just astounding to me i am actually completely shocked that it took me this long to finish the game because i stopped playing at the bit where it just gets good both times i played it previously and i just i think my past self's an idiot for not appreciating this game um, this is my, this is definitely in the top three, um, of my favorite games for the podcast so far, and it probably is my favorite game to have played. If I had to play any of the games again that we've played, I'd probably pick this one and we just played it. Like, I finished this game in one sitting and it's like 12 hours long. Um, I think Psychonauts is fantastic. You should definitely get in and play it. It is still enjoyable to play today. Uh, it's not without problems. Like I said, there's some weird pacing issues where it forces you to get the cobweb duster, but uh, the presentation is unmatched. I don't think there has been a game this creative released to any sort of mainstream potential ever. There's probably some indie games out there that are equally as creative, but I'd be shocked if there was a game that was more creative. Uh, wonderful game. I do think the gameplay is a little shoddy at times. It's a little mediocre. And there are points where you become aware of that, like in the Velvetopia level, and that's a few other points. But the joy of discovering what's coming next, the sense of wonder you get as you enter a new mind, as James said, the novelty of it all is so grand that you just enjoy it all the way through. It's a fun game. It's a funny game. It's got snappy dialogue play it and enjoy it you'll have a blast even if the gameplay isn't great yeah i'm extremely extremely excited for the sequel that was announced recently and i you know that game was not something i really had on my radar but absolutely is now my most anticipated game of the coming year or so you're welcome james yeah, well, I mean, I'd played this game before, so you can't take pure credit for that. But um, yeah, definitely the best game you've chosen so far. Um, so I'm going to have a difficult time following this one up. Um, but I have been doing a bit of digging, and 
Recently, Patrick and I played through a few platforming games, most notably Celeste, which was a great 2D platformer. And it's been a few months since then, and my uh, itch for another good 2D platformer is starting to get formed to me. So I've been doing a bit of digging and... You know, at the behest of somebody I'm quite close friends with, we're going to be playing Cave Story as the next game. How do you feel about that? So I played Cave Story Plus for like 40 minutes five years ago. Uh, I've heard good things about it, but I don't really know much about it, except you lose power on your gun when you take damage, I think. Uh, very vague on it, but I do like a good classic hard as nails 2D platformer. So in principle, I, I don't mind it. Yeah, perfect. So you can check that out next fortnight um, of the Retrospectives podcast. And just, you know, some final bit of housekeeping that Patrick usually does. But uh, I think he's uh, not up for talking right now. But you can find us on our website at rspodcast.net, where not only do we have every episode of this show, but we have a number of articles going uh, a bit deeper on some gameplay mechanics and that kind of theory that Patrick likes to do, and me very occasionally. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter. We are at RET Podcast, um, where Patrick likes to tweet about... Um, his experience playing the games as he's going through them and also a lot of the other things that he's interested in so thanks for listening and we'll see you next fortnight